Lord Jesus, we come to exalt your name today because you are the rescuer, you are the healer, you are the restorer, you are the one who goes before us in all things, and you are the one who is enthroned in glory, reigning over all things, even in this very moment. And so I pray that you would take whatever we brought in today, whatever our thoughts are, whatever's weighing heavy on us, weighty things or joyful things, we offer them to you. We pray that you would speak to us through your word, Lord, it is powerful, it is life-changing, and it opens our eyes to see more of your glory. So would you do that now in this time as we continue to worship you? We pray, come Holy Spirit. Come move in a mighty way among us. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, if you were to walk into our house and go to the right into our dining room, you would see on the wall this rather large portrait of our family. It's really a beautiful portrait. It was taken in 2008 on Easter Sunday. And I look at it and I go, you know what? We clean up pretty well as a family. I kind of like that. But there's something about that portrait that really makes me laugh. It's like one of those posts that you know you've done it, uh, that you've posted on Facebook a picture of you and or your family, that perfect family, you know, the perfect image. Well, that's what this portrait reminds me of because you can look at it and go, gosh, that, that's like this portrait. They got it all together. They look good and all that kind of stuff. Well, the reality is I know the other side of the story. And I'm sure you do too. Our lives are really messy. <laughs> it's not this perfect image that the portrait portrays. It's really not that true a reflection of our family, even though I love looking at it. You know, there's one thing that's true, I believe, of all of us in this room, and it's this. We like to think that we're really better than we really are. <laughs> we like to think that we've, we've kind of arrived, that we're there, that we've got it all together, or at least we want others to see that we do. But I think so often that many of us can fall into that trap and we live out of the delusion that we're really not that bad. Maybe you find yourself thinking or saying or kind of wanting to project an image like, look how successful I am. Look how well-behaved my kids are. Look how well I do homeschooling. Look how much knowledge I have of the Bible. Look how much I give. Look how good my marriage looks. And, and you could go on and on and on about how you want things to look. But friends, here's the danger when we fall into that trap, when we buy into the delusion that we really aren't that bad. We fail to see our need for Christ. We fail to really grasp what Jesus came to do for you and me. We fail to see how desperate we are for a Savior. And friends, when we fall into that trap, we've lost hold of the gospel. And we're then living out of us trying to do it on our own instead of living out of the riches that God came to bring us through Jesus One of the overarching themes in the passage we're going to be looking at today in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 18 that Dustin just read, is it shows us the incarnation of Christ. Now, he doesn't name that term in there, but he names the reality that Jesus came and he took on flesh and blood. And you can ask the question that we're going to answer today, why did he have to do that? Why did Jesus have to come and take on flesh and blood? Because, friends, we don't have it all together. And we are in desperate need of a Savior. 
So this morning, we're going to look at what really happened when Jesus came and took on flesh and blood, and what are the implications for you and me today. There are two images that we're going to look at, one of Christ being our champion who fights the battles on our behalf, and secondly, Christ being our great high priest, and how how Christ had to take on humanity in order to be these for us, and then we're going to see what he's actually done. So let me kick off and read again a couple of passages. Uh, First, seeing that Jesus is our champion. Hebrews chapter 2, looking at verses 9 and 10, and then 14 and 15. You can follow along in your bulletin if you like. The author wrote this. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering and death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil." And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, what we see right off the bat is the reality that Jesus entered this world and he became lower than the angels in taking on humanity and taking on flesh and blood. Now, he did that so that he could identify with us, but not just so that he could identify us with us, but so that he could also represent us. Now, I want you to see this. We've got to think about it for a moment. The fact that Jesus came and took on flesh and blood, friends, should tell us he understands what humanity is like. He understands what life this side of heaven is like. Later on in the book of Hebrews, we're going to see that, that, that he too was tempted, but he didn't sin. So he knows what temptation is like. He knows what suffering is like. He knows what life right where you are is all about. Now, there's something powerful in that because if he has been there, he understands. And because he understands, he knows exactly what to bring you in those very moments. Well, I want to look at one word in particular or one phrase. It's it's in verse 10 where we see that Jesus is the founder. He's right, the founder of their salvation, perfect through suffering. That word founder in the, in the ESV is translated in different, you know, other versions with different words. And I think the one that catches it the best is when it's translated champion. That Jesus is our champion. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. He is our champion who goes to battle on our behalf. In the Old Testament, many of the prophets wrote about God being this great divine warrior who would go to battle on behalf of the people. For for instance, when you read the book of Joshua, you see all of the military campaigns that that they came upon going into the promised land. The reason why they won every single one of them is because God, the divine warrior, went before them. He fought the battle on their behalf. Now, when you think of Jesus being this this champion, I want to bring in this imagery from an ancient practice back then. It was, you know, we often think of when you're going to battle, you've got two armies on either side going to war against each other. Well, what's pictured here is really Jesus being our champion, and it's not him coming with an entire army. He is coming as one representative against the enemy 
one representative. You see? So what's happening here is Jesus comes representing us. And then you have Satan, on the other hand, representing all the forces of evil. And those two go to battle together. Don't you think about how powerful that imagery is? That Jesus goes in our place and he fought the battle for us as our representative. And so on the cross, when he met Satan on the cross in that great battle, yes, death occurred. And Satan thought he won. But the reality is life came through death. And Jesus, our champion, had to die in order for us to live. Now, that may sound really strange. I think that's one of the great ironies of Christianity, that one had to die in order for us to live. But friends, that's exactly what had to happen. And we'll unpack that a little bit more in the next few minutes in that next section. But I want you to see first and foremost that in this passage, Jesus comes as our great champion who went to battle in our place. One of the things we see in in that battle is that Jesus defeated death. I love what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 and 56. He wrote, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we need to see that our champion won the battle so that the sting of death is no longer on us. Yes, we will die. But that's not the end of the story because there is new life because of what Jesus did for us. And that ought to give us, friends, a great hope. These early Christians, when when the author of Hebrews wrote this, they needed to know in the midst of persecution and suffering, many of them were going to die sooner than later. But the author of Hebrews says, look, the champion went to battle for you, so you do not need to fear death because there is victory on the other side. We read in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, that John wrote these words to this end. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And then he goes on and he says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Our great champion, Jesus, went to battle on the cross and he truly destroyed the works of the devil. Now, you may think for a minute, okay, so what are the works of the devil? Let me name two in particular that I think are are very relevant and prevalent for us today. The first is this. One of the great tactics of the devil is fear. He wants us to become paralyzed by fear, paralyzed by the fear of death or paralyzed by the fear of anything else, you name it. There's a lot of fear going around in our country today. I talk to people every day and I hear it in their voices. I see it on their faces. Conversations continue to be revolving around the direction our country's going in. A lot of fear. A lot of fear around the reality that Christianity today is becoming more and more marginalized. And it is. There's the fear of biblical truth being denied in so many churches. And that's happening. Those things are all happening. We don't need to turn a blind eye to them. But friends, we do not need to get paralyzed in fear. We need to see in this passage that we have a champion, a victor, one who defeated the enemy. And while those things are a reality, we live not as people in fear, but as people with hope, with great power through the resurrection, that we have a greater message of hope to bring today to those who are wrapped up and bound in fear. That's the first thing that we need to see. 
The enemy has been defeated. <laughs> and whatever, you know, we think about it, that's like going on broadly in our country and our world. But, but I know many of you are grappled with fear even today, just things going on in your own lives. Maybe it's something going on in your own family. And we can become very fearful of what's ahead. Friends, I want you to hear today, there is a champion and his name is Jesus Christ. And he won the victory so that we don't need to be paralyzed in fear, but we can walk in light of the victory knowing, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I don't need to worry because I know who one who knows. And that is Christ, our Savior. So I want you to hear that true reality today. The first thing, the enemies, the fear that he brings has been put to shame. The second thing that we see, this other tactic of the devil that I see and, and hear and, and even wrestle with myself, and you'll know this, it's all those accusations that the enemy likes to throw at you. You know, as a follower of Jesus, you've been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. But friends, I will tell you that the, the enemy is still out there and he is speaking accusations left and right in our ears. Remember what you did two years ago? All of a sudden we become filled with guilt or shame. Some of you were walked in here this morning and, and, and had a weight on because you've been listening to the, the accusations of the enemy and they are lies from the pit of hell. But they have bound your life and they have, you, they have, you've become identified with those friends. Those chains are gone because the victor has won the battle for us. And so when he comes to say, here's the guilt or here's the shame and you feel overwhelmed by that, you need to quickly turn to what is true. Those words that Paul wrote so beautifully in Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need the word of God to be so much louder than the accusations and lies of the enemy. So let me ask you this. <laughs> Whose voice have you been listening to lately? Whose voice have you been giving yourself to? What's the narrative that continues to play over and over and over in your mind? Is it a narrative that the accuser is throwing at you? Or is it the truth of a God who says you are loved, you are forgiven, you are restored, you are redeemed, you are set free. And you are empowered by the Holy Spirit in you to live in the fullness of what God has for you today. It matters, friends, whose voice we're listening to. And if you're like me, every single day, moments throughout the day, you are going to be sidetracked by the voice of the enemy. We need to understand because Jesus is our champion, because he's won the victory, those accusations no longer have authority over your life or mine. They are lies. We need to name them as that and then turn quickly back to what we know is true. That's the first thing that we see here in this passage. Jesus, this great champion who, and I love that word, and I think it's in verse 9, he tasted death for us so that death would not consume us. That's the power of the cross, friends. And that's why Jesus had to come and take on flesh and blood to be that champion for us. The second thing we see here, uh, this, this second picture is Jesus um, pictured as our high priest. Let me read verses 17 and 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, 
so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. What he's drawing on here is this beautiful imagery from the Old Testament of the high priest. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the temple, into that most holy place, the Holy of Holies. And he would take the blood of an animal to sprinkle it on the altar. And what he was first doing, it was, it was making atonement for his sins and for the sins of all the people. Now, what's interesting is this had to be done perpetually. Year after year after year, he would go into that holy place, atone for his sins, and then for the sins of the people. And you look at that and you think, it's never enough. It has to keep going over and over. And you know what? You're right. It's not enough. Because that practice was not enough to atone for the sins ultimately for the people that we needed to have happen. Friends, because we're sinners, we, we, we put ourselves, our lives in an affront to the holiness of God. And what is due you and me is actually the wrath of God because of our sin. But here I want you to see this picture here of Jesus coming, taking on flesh and blood. He comes as the high priest in our place. And he comes to bring offering for our sin to make atonement, not for his because he's sinless, but for ours. It was so powerful about this imagery of Jesus, the, the great high priest. Not only is he the high priest, he's also the sacrifice. Now, you just let that land on you for a minute. He's not only the high priest who goes in to make atonement, but he himself becomes the sacrifice by shedding his own blood. Friends, you can look at all the different religions that are around in the world today, and there is not one religion where you would see this happen except Christianity. Every other one, you've got to atone for your own sins. You've got to do things. You've got to do works to make yourself better and approved for a God. But in Christianity, our God came in our place and he himself became the sacrifice. And so what I want you to see is this great high priest on the cross as he hung there. All of the wrath of God that was due you and me was poured onto Jesus. Now think about that for a minute. All of that was poured onto Jesus, his son. He stood in our place. So that you and I would no longer be the recipients of his wrath, but now the recipients of his grace. Friends, that's the story of the gospel. May we never forget it. May it never grow old. May it be something that we come back to over and over and over again. This is what our God did. In um, Hebrews chapter 7, we read this and it kind of sums this part up. This is Hebrews 7, verses 26 and 27. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those priests to offer sacrifices daily, but for, for his own, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself. Friends, when Jesus went to the cross, Remember what he said, those final words. He said, it is what? It is finished. Do you believe that? It is finished. 
you no longer have to try to earn favor with God or try to atone for your own sins by being the perfect portrait family. He said, no, it is finished, complete, done. The wrath was satisfied and we received the righteousness. That's the, that's the mind-boggling reality of this gospel. Now, let me talk just for a moment before I close about this one word. It's one of those big theological words that we say and you go, do I really know what that means? <laughs> we see that Jesus came to make propitiation for the sins of the people. <laughs> you, know what it, you know what that word means? It's pregnant with two important elements to it. First, it means this, that Jesus satisfied the wrath of God. When he went to the cross to make propitiation for our sins, he satisfied the wrath of God because God's wrath came onto him and not us. You see, friends, God's a holy God. And he can't turn a blind eye to sin. He is just and righteous. But he satisfied his justice through his son. That's the first thing. Second thing we see in this word is this, that it means we have been reconciled to God. That's the love of God for you and me. Friends, you hear me talk a lot about grace, and I will talk about grace until I die. <laughs> but I want you to see this. Grace is costly. It is costly. May we never be people who take it too lightly. May we never be people who abuse God's grace and say, oh, I've got God's grace so I can live however I want. It doesn't matter what I do. Friends, God's grace was costly because it cost God the life of his son. May we never cheapen the grace of God for you and me. So let me wrap this up with this. If all of this is true, if we really have a champion who fought the ultimate battle for us and continues to fight our battles today, if that's really true, and we have a high priest who has taken the wrath of God away, what does that mean for you and me today? What would happen if we walked out of here really believing these words? What would that do for you? What would that give you? I tell you what, one thing it would mean, you'd walk out here going, you know what? God's no longer angry with me. <laughs> He's no longer angry with me. I am loved. I am covered. My sins really are forgiven. So when the enemy comes with those, those words, those accusations, you know what? I can say, stop, because I know whose I am. And I am covered in the blood of Christ. I am a righteous man now. And we can walk tall. Because our Father's love is that rich. Friends, that's what that means for you and me. Because He's our champion and our high priest, we don't, priest, we don't have to try to go be perfect. It's not an excuse to sin, but we realize in Christ we already are. And it's a whole other way of living when we realize that because we want to honor God. We want to live lives of holiness, to exalt the one who has made us holy. Friends, may we never get tired of this gospel truth. We need to hear it over and over and over. And I love the author of Hebrews because he keeps bringing it to our forefront that there is a champion for us and that we have a great high priest. So as you go forth in this week, know that God has fought the battles already on your behalf. He goes before you and remember the sacrifice and what he has now made you, a son, a daughter, who is perfect, holy, and righteous. Amen?
Let me pray. Father, thank you for this word of yours. Father, thank you for bringing us today back to this truth. Oh, how we need to hear it. Because it's not a truth that we go out and hear in the world. (laughs) But may we take this truth out to the world. That more and more people would come to know how high and wide and deep is your love and what you came to do. So, Lord Jesus, come move in us and move through us. We love you and we bless you. May we live lives going forward with greater and greater gratitude. For you are our champion and high priest. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.